don't find customers for your products, find products for your customers. And his quote really stuck with me because it really does flip it on its head is oftentimes we get locked into a, a product idea that we want to create. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven-figure exit, and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's sponsor is Eva, the best AI repricer for Amazon profits. Private label sellers, are you wasting your cash? Eva reprices your products for you, and the result is up to 50% more profits. Eva serves hundreds of seven-figure sellers in the USA and is now out for British and European sellers as well. For a 15-day free trial, go to amazingfba.com forward slash Eva. That's amazingfba.com forward slash E-V-A. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven, and eight-figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven-figure exit, and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Ladles and jelly spoons, welcome back to the call-in show of the e-commerce leader we've got hot takes with our usual crew chris green carl hamer jason miles and myself michael vz from various parts of the usa and across the pond in london england i love london england presumably there's a london somewhere random in, in america Charles, welcome back to the show hot takes on creating custom physical products today looking forward to the topic how are we all doing there in a very love it love topic. it yeah is there a london america i don't know london alabama sure. london london i don't know Iowa. there's a bunch I'm sure there's a bunch. <laughs> yeah. But only one original. One original. And best. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I, I'm biased, but I like to think so. Great. So creating phys custom physical products, obviously one of the classic kind of, for me, that the original business model that I learned about e-commerce through, and a lot of people have, and gradually emerged that there are millions of different ways of making money online in the e-commerce space. But it's still uh, very desirable. It's a hot topic these days, I would say, and for many, many different reasons that I'm looking forward to getting into. So Kyle, obviously you are one of the experts uh, around in creating custom products and you've done a lot of the stuff yourself. So let's kick off with you for our hot takes on creating custom physical products. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this is sort of the, I guess if you were to kind of cl classically think about your physical product business, this is sort of the Mount Everest business model that most people sort of aspire to in their mind. I want to create a product that I own, that's unique, that I can defend, that is on my own take uh, on it. And it's serving a, a good customer base, a big enough customer base, it's making me a lot of money. It's producing business value, something I have an asset that I can sell in the future. Like a lot of people sort of initially, when they think about selling products on Amazon, that's sort of in the back of their mind, like that would be, I, they hear the stories, they hear everyone's like, oh, I made this product and launched this new brand and now it's sold it for X millions of dollars, right? And the reality is that is still the case. You can still do that. It's definitely becoming harder than it used to be using Amazon as a vehicle to do that because competition is increasing, right? And so I still think that there are absolutely opportunities to create custom products because there always will be. 
at the core, custom product development is just about innovation. And I think it's about deep knowledge of your customer. If you have a, if you have a set of customers that you truly understand what they know and need and want, you'll always have the ability to, to well, potential for creating great custom products for that, for that group of people. And I think it starts with the actual customers, not the products. So most people get it backwards. And I would say my first sort of big aha takeaway moment for this is really uh, some sage advice that I heard from Seth Godin, who said, don't find customers for your products, find products for your customers. And his quote really stuck with me because it really does flip it on its head because oftentimes we get locked into a, a product idea that we want to create. We fall in love with the product, but there's not good product, product market fit. There's not demand for them. And therefore we're trying to try to go out in there and carve out a niche, find and create customers, but on educating them to sort of love our new product. And I think that's a really, really difficult hill to climb. And so it's much wiser to really understand what clients and customers need and then build them products that they already have a pent up demand for. Pent up demand for products are a great, great phrase. <laughs> and that sounds like a sort of ideal as well. Great. Interesting to hear how you perceive it as well, because the perception of a business model is a completely different thing from the reality of it, isn't it? And as you say, it maybe it is a sort of Everest to people. Chris, what's your take? Obviously, you have a, a huge variety of business models you've run on the Amazon space. So put it in context for us. Yeah, the, the variety part is, makes it kind of interesting. And you can think of custom products in lots of different ways. I mean, what Kyle's explaining to me, and Kyle, jump in if I'm, I've got this wrong, is you're almost trying to make a custom product as a kind of private label product. So then you're kind of customizing something you control, but then you're, you're expecting to sell a bunch of those products to a bunch of customers. And is it, was that right? Did I get it right? Yeah. Yeah. No, you, you're usually starting with a product concept or idea and you're either iterating on it or you're finding something that you want to add your, your sizzle to. Yeah. And, and I love what you, what you said about like, don't try to make products for yourself because like there's things I want. I'm like, oh my gosh, I would totally buy that. Like no one else would buy it. Right. Cause it's, it's too specific just to me. Right? I'm the only one who thinks it's cool. The, the market right. size of one is not a good business strategy. No, but it's actually amazing that you can now serve market sizes of one where normally you couldn't do that. And I'm not trying to completely shift the conversation over to print on demand, but print on demand along with the ability to customize products makes a lot of things all of a sudden more interesting and you can carve out very specific online that, you know, something that like a store like Best Buy or Walmart would never carry a product, but online you can sell a product that is so customizable that, you know, the customer's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they have this. And it's like, well, we don't actually have it. We're just whenever you order it kind of thing. So e-commerce things that, you know, only exist because of the internet and print on the platforms. And you guys may have heard the Steve Jobs quote where he's like, you know, don't ask your customers what they want, because by the time you make it, they're going to want something else. And he said it at a time where like lead times and production times were certainly a lot longer than they are today. But I think it still holds true in, in a sense. I mean, when I think of custom products, Amazon has a complete, an entire platform called Amazon Custom, where sellers through Seller Central can upload products and images and say, look, well, I'll customize this product for you. We sell cutting boards. And we will, we will burn whatever name, we will carve whatever name on there you want. Just tell us the font, tell us the name, and we will customize that specifically for you. And that kind of seems like an Etsy type thing in terms of custom products. And that's why I say, Kyle, like we're talking, you know, kind of private label custom products versus one-off or very short run custom products. But the ability to customize, I think that the main point of this is that customers today, more than ever throughout history, 
want something specific. They want something custom. They want something made for them. It's the thought that counts. People are really starting to figure that out, especially here in gift giving season where people are like, I want to get somebody something they really like, something that, that they can, they see that I really understand and know them and, and listen to them throughout the year and get them something uh, that is very customized to them. It's not about how much money you spend. It's about how specific that product can be. And the fact that we can make all these products individualized and you know, just means there's, there's so many more business opportunities, not to confuse, not to overwhelm people with options, but the Amazon custom platform is a great way, not just to sell, but also to test, which is how you then bridge something over to be like, Hey, I'm making a whole bunch of these, but people really seem to like this. I want to go and do more of what Kyle's doing and now create it, you know, in quantity and kind of scale this up and turn it into kind of a larger business. So many different ways that you can go with custom products. Wow. That's very interesting. I had no idea about the Amazon custom platform either. That sounds fascinating. I have to explore that. Jess, what are your takes? Obviously you're in an interesting position, but you have a, a lot of uh, clients in the physical product space, but I guess you, you come from the sort of digital products and owning your own store space. So, so what's your take on this? Well, I love the topic and I'm a huge admirer and fan of anybody who can create a really, really cool custom product. It's not in my wheelhouse. I, I was in the, the, the dark decade from 1989 to 2000, 2000 and, uh, sorry, 1998 to 2008. And I wanted to have a business online and I kept thinking camping furniture was a good idea for, for a good number of years, inflatable camping furniture, but I didn't have the skill set to make it a reality. And so that never happened. But I remember a couple things that stand out to me now, as I look back on that time, I, I there's a book called growing a business by Paul Hawken, where he talks a lot about how to get a custom product sorted out. And there's a huge set of learnings there that I reflected on and, and I've seen people execute on, it's not my wheelhouse and, and, but I'm, I'm forever admiring people who do this. I love Russell Brunson's quote that you're one funnel away. And he stole that from somebody else who said you're one, I think one product away, or maybe one good advertisement away from a life-changing business. And I think that's true in this case, you, if you're watching or listening to this or watching it and you like the idea of making a custom product, you're one custom product away from having a life-changing outcome in your business. And um, in my book, e-commerce power, I just did this little quote comment behind every successful product, no matter how simple is an entrepreneur that spent countless hours thinking, tinkering, debating, discarding, learning, eliminating, problem solving, simplifying, improving and changing ultimately never giving up on the go-to-market version of a product that they could make for other people. And I really, really just think that to Kyle's point, it is an obsessive compulsive <laughs> obsession for serving people with a unique widget tool item, you know, and, and, and that's really incredible and powerful. And so I, yeah, as a sort of a coach and mentor, when I see people have the skill set, I'm forever impressed with it. Obviously, there's more beyond just making the product. There's marketing the product. And that's where maybe I have other skill sets that come to play. But yeah, there you go. That's my couple of thoughts. Wow. So uh, very, very interesting thoughts already. And I think it's extremely healthy, especially at this stage of the development of the custom product space and the Amazon focused version of it to have very different takes on it. Because if you just follow one way of thinking, you're going to just copy what everyone else does and not only copy their mistakes, quite probably, but end up being commoditized. So my takes on this, I suppose there's so many angles to look at this thing. I would uh, agree entirely with you, Kyle, that you've got to start with the customer and end with the customer really. And I think 
if you say, if you develop your product alongside your customers very deeply and then market it, understanding them and stay very, 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 very close to them, you're going to be heading in the right direction. It may take time, but a lot of people start with the numbers. They use Jungle Scout or Helium 10. They obsess about that. And I've gone there. So, so many people who are new to private labeling, including established business owners who've done a lot of wholesale sourcing, go around in circles for a long time that way. And, and I feel that's generally speaking, in my experience, just a bad way of doing it for multiple reasons. Starting with the person and the problem is great. So Jason Francios is a classic example, American entrepreneur. He and his buddy were obsessed with CrossFit and they created a weightlifting belt, which is the most generic thing you can sell in that space. But they, his, the, the best he co-developed it with had a PhD in physical therapy and physical training. And that was the difference. They truly deep dove in into it, into put it in American English. And um, yeah, CrossFit is a very obsessive people and they got right into that community. And as a result, it's taken off like a rocket. Um, and the second person also in the physical products kind of space, Mina Elias was, was really obsessed with creating the perfect supplement for his mixed martial arts stuff for about 10 years. I don't think you have to be obsessed with a particular area to that degree, but it probably helps if you are that your business partner is. And I think that kind of obsession about a particular need of a particular audience is also really the key. Well, Mike, I like what you say there at the end. I think people miss that point because so many people get in the space just to make money. Because uh, they need money or they're interested in like, oh, I, I heard you can make a million dollars doing this stuff. But the guys who made that belt for CrossFit, they cared about CrossFit. They liked CrossFit. They were going to make it anyway. They're going to make it for themselves. And and marketing it and telling people about it and saying, look, we got this awesome product, right? You're like, you want to try it? You want to buy one? And it's actually a good product? Like, that's that's the dream product. That's you, know, if you like, you want to market that product. You want to share that with everybody. If you make something that's quality and, and it's good and you're part of a community, they get, things can really, really take off. And people want stuff that's very specific. Yeah, I want the CrossFit belt. I don't want the regular belt. I don't want the Walmart belt. I don't want the, I want the one specifically made for CrossFit because I'm a CrossFitter, right? It becomes part of their identity. If you can market to their identity, then it, it's kind of, it's a piece of cake, especially when it's something you actually enjoy. You know, people forget that. And I, I think people should rem remember that you can test so cheaply these days. And a lot of times you can test without spending any money, which, you know, lowers the barrier to entry. And I think makes people think, oh, if everybody can do this, oh, there's no, you know, there's no barriers. It's like, yeah, there's no barriers, but there's still people that won't do it because they don't believe in it. They don't understand it. They're not willing to fail along the way. Uh, so if you're willing to fail and you want to test custom products, you can test a ton of products without spending hardly any money, you know, and see what works and see what you like and see what the, the market responds to. And it's, you know, the only problem is there's so many options. So you know, my advice is to try some things that you actually like and, and see where they go. And, you know, the only guarantee I can give you is if you don't try anything, you won't get anywhere. So I can't guarantee you'll, you'll find exactly what you want right away, but I guarantee you'll, you'll never find it if you don't actually start. I think one of the things that Jason and I, I've noticed coaching clients over the years is when the best clients you've had the most success have leaned into where they have sort of product and industry level expertise and background, right? It's when People are trying to make a shift and they're trying to switch careers or switch interests or, or move on to something different and do and like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to deal with that because that's what I used to do for the last 20 years. And honestly, that is the place to start is where you have the most industry expertise and deep knowledge and understanding because you, you basically are, are flushing away years and years of your life's uh, work and knowledge because you might be burnt out or bored with it. But, but making that shift and it, it, not ignoring that first and leaning into that first is really, really, I think, an important piece of that 
to to your point, even Chris, you can test your way into it, but but you need to have deep level understanding and don't ignore your prior experiences. So I've got a quick response to a couple of things that have come out of that. And then Jason, I know you've got some some great sort of strategy level thoughts that, that come out of Paul Hawkins, because I, I, we've talked about that before and that's fascinating stuff. A couple of thoughts. I mean, first of all, the risk reward thing is really, really difficult for anyone coming in new, which is why I would say to the points you've made, Kyle, first of all, if you have a lot of industry background and expertise, you really should lean into that. I absolutely agree with that. And you're right that people seem to turn their backs on it for some reason. And I've done the same. It's about time I produced a, a ton of books about how to teach piano, for example. It's ridiculous that I haven't already, and I'm sure I will because it's the obvious thing to do. But the other thing is that if you don't yet have expertise in the production side or marketing or the whole business model creation thing, which is, as you say, it's a bit of the Everest, then don't start on Everest. Go and, you know, train on some foothills. <laughs> and I would suggest that if, if people are starting out that they, they don't go straight from private labeling or let alone custom products, that they start with retail arbitrage, maybe some wholesale sourcing, where you still got enough stuff to juggle, but you've got stock management, you've got budget management and finance management. You've got to do some marketing maybe, but the product itself has been taken care of. And I think you should approach it when you're the flip side of that, just to lean into the, the opportunity side, there's a great Jeff Bezos quote, and I'm not going to give all of it because it's a bit long, but he said, basically outsized returns come from betting against conventional wisdom. And he said, here's the thing. If you are going to swing for the fences in baseball, no matter how well you connect with the baseball, the ball, it's truncated returns. The most runs you can get in four. Whereas in business, every once in a while, when you step up to the plate, you can score a thousand runs. And that long tail distribution of returns is why it's important to be bold. Big winners pay for so many experiments. The only thing I would add to that extremely true point is you got to make sure you don't go broke on the way. So that's my take on that. Jason, what are your thoughts in, in response to all this stuff? And, and particularly, I love these Paul Hawkins stuff that you've mentioned. So let, let's get into either your thoughts or Paul Hawkins. Yeah, sure. He's got a great list in that book. Uh, it's called Growing a Business. And it, it, his story is so inspirational. It's my favorite business book of all time. When he talks about creating products, he has this little list of questions for us as, as entrepreneurs. And I love it. Uh, the first question is, can you enhance the commonplace, something that's just boring that you can make better? Second question is, can you raise the ante, add more features, more functions, you know, make it better basically for customers. Can you reveal a business within a business? So, you know, some products are trying to serve two markets or two, two types of customers. Can you just break that in half and just make a product that is awesome for just the firefighter, not the paramedic or like whatever, you know what I mean? Like you, you divide the product concept for people and make it more custom to Chris's point earlier. The fourth idea is, can you restore a business that's been lost over time? And there are awesome things. If you go get the Sears and Roebuck catalog, physical edition from 1905, it's literally a massive book full of products. <laughs> if you look at it, there's a lot of really cool stuff there that no one makes anymore. And I'm not even joking around. It probably is a great source book for new ideas. The first, fifth question is, can you be the most complete provider and not just have one product, but for the right audience, have everything that could possibly. The sixth question is, can you be the low cost provider? Make it cheaper than anybody else. Seventh question, question is, can you make it fun? Turning something that's boring or just a pedestrian thing into something that has an angle that's fun and engaging and entertaining. The eighth question is, can you bring it online? An item that's all physical, can you make it somehow digital or with community or other functions that last question is mine actually but there you go that's eight questions mostly from paul hawkins and i think if you think through those things you might get a leg up on creating a 
unique product. Uh, so there you have it. That's my thought. Yeah, really like those. What was, I missed one of those after being the most complete provider. What was the one? I'm going to make sure I capture this list. What was the most, the one after most complete provider? I, I closed the book, buddy. You closed the book. Don't worry about it. We'll have no, it. No, no, no. I got it. No, I'm screwing up as a host. I'm being the host and the secretary at the same time. It never works. Well. But we'll come back on it. So I got um, it right here. I got it right here. What, <laughs> what be the most complete provider? Can you be the low cost provider? That low was the other one. Provider. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Great. And I'm kind of glad we left that out because everyone defaults to that by. Well, by yeah. <laughs> well, I, mean, the, I guess the question there would be, can you structurally with some type of systems approach, be the low cost provider, not just try to beat people on margin that all have the same cost of goods structure that you have. That's a fool's errand. But yeah. can you actually make something for half the cost of everybody else? That's what Elon Musk is doing with the rockets. And, uh, you know, that's genius. So, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I love it. Good, good point about the cost structure. Great. Well, I think we've had some good hot takes. Any sort of roundups from anyone? Kyle, I'm inclined to come to you because obviously you specialize in this stuff. What, what are your... I would say out of that list, Jason Hogg's list is great. I mean, it's awesome stuff. But one of the things that stood out to me immediately on that list was sort of looking at the market. Because you have to start with your market, even though we it's, you're thinking all about the product, but really it starts with the market and it's called splitting that hat. Essentially what that it was telling you or asking you to do is to niche down. And I think if you're going to get started and you want to create custom products, niche down, niche down, niche down, niche down, and continue to do it. And the reason why technically, yes, you know, niches are great because you can get into it and usually there's smaller competition and smaller niches. It does, and niches do have a, a two-edged sword, right? You can't go to, to like scale out a niche. The reason why you go small is because it's less competition, but it also means that there's not a massive user base, but it's going to be big enough. But the reason why is it changes your risk profile, right? The It allows you to enter into a potentially a, a niche with much lower competition which does two things, I think, immediately for you. One is that it is all about sort of the easier to get visibility and audience eyeballs, right? So if there are less competitors in a niche, um, it's going to be easier for you to sort of enter that niche and become relevant. And then, and two, like it gives you some pricing power. So if there are, are less competitors in a particular uh, category or sub niche, then it gives you some pricing power. And I think that that is, that's really interesting. In fact, competition in the industry is one of, uh, Michael Porter's five forces frameworks, right? When he's identifying an environment in business to get into or, or product or, or a market. And so those one of those five forces is your, your competition. So I think niching down sort of insulates you from that to some extent. As opposed to being exposure to a much larger market where competitions get much more intense and you're going to have to have a higher level of skill. Yeah, definitely. Um, there, there is a ton of value to be had out of uh, going into niches. And as you say, uh, lower competition is really huge, particularly if you're on Amazon. Or like if you're used to the crickets thing of running your own business outside of the Amazon ecosphere, then you probably think sales is important. But I, I would argue that uh, profit is the missing piece on Amazon. And to your point, competition being lower means you can make profit as well. Chris, what's your final thoughts? I, I, I know we're kind of talking around a couple of you know, specific topics when it comes to you know, custom products, but I think there's going to be a lot of interest, especially if, if someone's just starting out in Amazon custom. And, and like you said, like, like there's so many things you Amazon's so big, we don't know, uh, it, or it's hard to keep up with all of the different platforms. But Amazon Custom, in my opinion, is a great way to try and test things. And I think people might find it more interesting than just 
being a commodity seller and selling other people's products all the time. Although there is this kind of nice little kind of connector between Amazon products and branded products that I, I, I've not seen anybody really take as much advantage of this. I think people should. So I want to throw this kind of idea out there because with the, the world now with 3D printers and laser engravers and embroidery machines and all these different products, you can customize literally anything in your home and take an order off of Amazon, the world's most largest, most trusted marketplace. And you're like, wait a minute, how do I combine those? Well, you can go to Kohl's or Walmart and buy Disney backpacks and offer to customize them by embroidering your child's name onto that backpack and then sending it out. And now all of a sudden you're selling Disney products. Now all of a sudden you're not having to source wholesale with minimum buys and have licensing. You just go buy it off the shelf at Walmart, customize it with engraving or embroidery or something else and ship it to the customer. And now the customer can get, oh my gosh, I can get this Disney Frozen backpack with my daughter's name on it. Perfect. That's what I want for a gift. And you can do all that. It's a very specific type of Amazon custom compared or custom product compared to some of the other things we're talking about. But the ability to customize products and the, in my opinion, the consumer trend toward wanting more customized, like specific products unique to them. Uh, like it, it's creating this perfect storm. You can create anything for anybody and you can reach them using sites like Amazon you know, and Etsy. And, and you know, merch by Amazon is a single, you know, product, like one quantity of t-shirts and different apparel items. And the printers that they use, you can buy them yourself and put them in your garage. They're called DTG printers, direct to garment printers. And they print on all kinds of things. And you know, the other, the problem that comes up is there's so many choices and so many options and you got to pick one, but I would encourage people just like the CrossFit thing, do you know, pursue something you have a, a vested interest in because it's going to make, it's going to make the whole, a world of difference. And, and here's the exact you know example. Like if someone here wanted to say, you know what, let's all get together and make a weight belt for CrossFit. Good luck. None of us are CrossFitters, right? How are we going to enter that market? How are we going to talk the talk with those customers? It's could be an uphill battle and not a battle. I think anybody could win against actual entrepreneurs who are actually CrossFitters and actually know what they want and actually make a good product. So you can find that match. You might not find it right away, but always look for that match between providing a product that, that you actually enjoy and in order to market that you actually and serve that market with a quality product. And it's going to make business like a lot more fun. Yeah, I think fun is important. I mean, I think two, two or three reflections and then Jason, I'd love to come to your, your final takes. First of all, because it's kind of the Everest and because people on, I know people in the mastermind that I run that, that just recently had a seven figure exit for, for a not very big business in terms of revenue, but my goodness, it was profitable. It, that is real. But the trouble is that starts to get people to do really strange stuff at the beginning. People are obsessed with how do I scale stuff and they go for scale straight away. Thousand dollar, you know, thousand units of a product from China, whatever. This is a disaster. <laughs> and to your point that the phrase that comes to mind is nail it then scale it whoever said that so chris to your point if you have any way and custom products on amazon sounds amazing but etsy sell to your neighbor sell at a country fair i don't care of testing market with demanding ones is twos is threes is fives is then that's perfect because then you can actually understand at a deep granular level whether customers like stuff what they like what they dislike you can iterate easily you have contact with the market you are taking minimal risk you're not stressed out you're not over committed there's so many things that go with it that i love so i really like that that major hint and whether you're calling it custom products or handmade or whatever in the end it, it's not relevant at a small scale it only becomes relevant it's a scaling question it's not so much a different model maybe Anyway, many things to think about there. Jason, your thoughts on this massive subject? Yeah, I would say Robert Kiyosaki got challenged one time by a reporter for his basic thesis, which was you should start a business. 
the reporter said, well, eight out of 10 of those are going to fail. And he said, I don't care. I would rather fail over and over until I get a business that succeeds than not have a business. And it's kind of the same way with products. I would say, don't overthink it. If you have a real passion for something that's in your wheelhouse, do the minimum order quantity, do the custom version that Chris is describing, just do it, execute on it. And if you do a half a backflip and you fail publicly, who cares? Do it again. Just, just get up, dust yourself off. Don't do anything terminal. You don't, don't bankrupt yourself with your first product, but then just try again, try again, try again till you get better knowledge, better insight, better understanding of how to do it. And that's my just general sentiment is that you're not going to fail if you never give up. You just get it, you know, refined over time. So uh, I just hope that encourages somebody that, you know, don't overthink it and don't feel like one failure is actually anything other than a test <laughs> of your resolve for victory. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you must be a victor. You must overcome. Yeah. So there you go. No, I like, I like, <laughs> I like that. No, I like the mentality. It's the entrepreneur's mentality. I think the key is just that little phrase said, don't bankrupt yourself with your first product. I think yeah. when you try to scale artificially early, and that is, by the way, anytime before product market fit is achieved, you, you don't want to be scaling it up because if people hate your product, you don't want to get lots of it in hands. And that happens every day of the week on Amazon, right? You get it into everyone's hands. They give you one star reviews. Now you have a thousand units in a warehouse that are pretty much unsellable, except for their terrible loss. So uh, you don't want to scale early. And, and the reason people bankrupt themselves and you do see it happening is because they try and scale before they got product market fit, I would say. So I would say, yeah. absolutely do it on a small scale. The passion thing seems to be a theme that we, we're bringing through, bring it close to the, the market. And uh, yeah, and, and as you say, Chris, that you, you're amazing at knowing all the ins and outs of the Amazon platform. I'm ashamed that I didn't even know about the Amazon customer platform. I've obviously got too narrow in my focus. That there are so many ways that you can get into markets on a small scale these days, which is amazing. So then what you say, Jason, becomes true. You can afford to fail eight times, nine times, because the 10th time, to Jeff Bezos' point, we knock it out of the park. Um, yeah. Gents, this is uh, fantastic stuff. I think I'm going to probably wrap it up there if if we're good with that because it's supposed to be hot takes. Just a quick reminder to anyone who's following us. First of all, the call-in app. We are live on that every Tuesday, 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern or 4 p.m. Um, London time. Or we're also on the e-commerce leader is on all the podcast apps out there, Apple, Google Podcasts, whatever it is you want. We are climbing up the charts on Spotify very satisfyingly. The downloads are going up over time, which is fantastic. So if you want to be part of that community, don't forget to come and find us and subscribe. And if you can give us the love on the Apple Podcast app with a rating at five stars, we'd love to get that as well. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.